0: Hello and thank you very much for uh, listening into this. Um for the uh, for the second time in a row uh, my sermon uh, wasn't videoed on a Sunday morning I am beginning to uh, sense a theme here. Um so I I'm re-recording it now. Um so this is uh, a re-recording of a sermon that I gave on 14th of May 2023 and uh, last time um I at least had done a powerpoint uh, slide so that was shown over the kind of the, the, the re-recorded audio. This time I don't even have a PowerPoint presentation, so this has in effect become a podcast. So let's start again. Welcome to the uh, Community Church Podcast. Um, And this time it's uh, Peter Mansfield, and uh, this is a sermon on Isaiah 53. Uh, And I'm going to start by um, reading some extracts from kind of the last bit of Isaiah 52 and the beginning of Isaiah 53. So um, here goes. Um, My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep for her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear our iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. Now, the first observation to make about Isaiah 53 is that it is a prophecy, not a biography. Uh, it was written several hundred years before uh, the birth and life of, of Jesus. Um, so it is a prophetic word looking forward. And it's a prophetic word that is, is described as a, a servant song. That's how theologians uh, kind of uh, explain it. And it's one of four servant songs uh, within um, a section of Isaiah from chapters 40 through to 55. Uh, the other three servant songs are Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 50. Um, and they're all sections of Isaiah which talk about the servant. Um, now, Jewish theologians um, say that the servant is uh, is Israel. And they base this on uh, several verses that... Uh, uh, explicitly refers to the servant as Israel. So Isaiah 41 verse 8, for example, says, But you, O Israel, my servant. Chapter 44 verse 21 says, For you are my servant, O Israel. And chapter 49 verse 3 says, You are my servant, Israel. So that is undeniably kind of part of the story. Um, but there's another part of the story because Isaiah 53 is quoted uh, frequently in the New Testament um, in the context of Jesus. Um, There are 12 verses in Isaiah 53, eight of those verses are quoted in whole or in part by New Testament writers in connection with Jesus and and three more verses are hinted at which leaves just one verse that is not mentioned in the context of Jesus. Uh, The most extreme example of where Isaiah 53 is mentioned is in the book of Acts Um, In in that book, uh, there is a story of a disciple called Philip uh, and Philip meets an Ethiopian uh, who is reading Isaiah 53. And in particular, he's reading that the passage about um, he was led like a a lamb to the slaughter. And the Ethiopian is reading this and he doesn't understand what it means. So he asks Philip to explain the passage and um, Acts says that Philip then used that passage as the starting point to tell him, All about Jesus. So the reality is that uh, Isaiah 53 is probably speaking uh, of both the nation of Israel and the future Messiah which is why the New Testament writers uh, feel free to apply the words to to Jesus Um, and this makes sense because uh, the Messiah Jesus kind of saw himself as representing Israel So the the, the two concepts that the nation of Israel and the Messiah of Israel are bound up in each other. Um, In many ways, Jesus saw himself as fulfilling the mission of Israel. Um, As such, Isaiah 53 uh, can very easily work on these two different levels. It can be a prophecy that relates to to Israel and it can be a prophecy that relates to the Messiah. Um, Either way, the essence of Isaiah 53 is that the servant, whoever that may be, will be rejected, pierced and wounded, but that these wounds will will achieve something. It says that he was pierced for our wrongdoing and by his wounds we are healed. And that's really what I want to unpack, um, kind of what that means for us today. So, So let's start with a question. Why did Jesus die? This is such a disarmingly simple question and it's a question that I have asked myself a lot Um, over the years um, and I've only recently started to grasp at an answer that may kind of potentially satisfy me. I I became a Christian uh, when I was a a teenager so for over 40 years I have been grappling kind of with with this issue with this question why did Jesus die and the, the problem as it seems to me is that the crucifixion is often presented as a very simple he died so you can be forgiven now that may well be true as a, as a statement and I, I believe it is true as a statement but it doesn't really explain why Jesus had to die um, because Jesus forgave people before he was crucified and you know I'm sure that God could have found some other way to forgive me. Um, I, you know, I always find it bizarre that, that the same people who told me that God was all powerful and who could do the impossible are the same people who told me that God was unable to do something as seemingly simple as forgiving me. Even my wife and children are able to do that. And uh, being frank, they have to on a regular basis. And um, another thing uh, about the crucifixion um, is that, and I'm speaking personally here, I, I have always viewed the crucifixion through the lens of theology. Um, almost the first thing I was told as, as I grew up in the church was that, that Jesus had died for our sins, or or even more specific than that, he had died for my sins. And a particular interpretation um, was put on that, that phrase, which then acted as a filter whenever I read the story um, of Jesus' death in, in the Gospels. And you know, in, in effect, I had been told what it was supposed to mean, and I imposed that meaning on the story. Um, but but in recent years, I have started to look at the story differently. I, I've started to look at the story as a story, um, and I mean this process probably began. Um, oh, I don't know, about kind of four four or five years ago, when when I read a book by um, N. T. Wright. Um, kind of the, the day the revolution began is is the name of the book, um, and shortly after that, I read another book um, called Unapologetic by uh, Francis Spufford. And which took this idea of, of the story, reading it as a story, even further. And being honest, it was completely eye-opening for me. Um, now, it should have been obvious that we should look at Jesus' story first and foremost as a story. Uh, you know, The clue is in the fact that the story was so important to the early disciples that the New Testament includes not one, not two, not three, but four versions of it. Uh, In my Bible, that's 116 pages out of a total of 266 pages in the New Testament. That's almost half of the New Testament just taken up with the story of Jesus. And in the context of the story of Jesus, as presented in in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the question, why did Jesus die, becomes very simple. He died because that is how this type of story always ends. Now, I don't know if you like your films, but uh, there are certain film genres where you know the conclusion before the film starts. If it is a a rom-com, a romantic comedy, you know that the two main characters are gonna end up together. If it is a whodunit, you know that the culprit is gonna be uncovered. If it is Mission Impossible, you know that the mission is going to turn out to be possible. Um, If it's a thriller, you know that there's going to be a hugely improbable twist towards the end. Now, so what about the plot of Jesus's story? Well, location. A plucky little country at the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. The baddies. Rome. The greatest military power the world has ever seen, famed for the ruthless suppression of any hint of rebellion. Main character. A man who starts to talk about his kingdom being near. Now, in the real world, how do you think that this story is going to end? Yep, that's right, ruthless suppression. And that's why Jesus told people to keep quiet whenever anyone worked out that he was the Messiah. Um, Because being the Messiah, being the king, being claiming to have any level of kingdom within the Roman Empire was inflammatory. It was political dynamite. If it leaked out then frankly who knows what might have happened. So Jesus was well aware that it had to be kept quiet. So whenever anyone said you are the Messiah or you are the Christ Jesus said be quiet because Jesus knew that the declaration that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour, the Liberator, the King would have only one outcome and that outcome was death. So now, I no longer ask, why did Jesus die? Because his death was actually utterly predictable from the moment he started his ministry. The remarkable thing about the story is is not the cross. In many ways, the cross is, is the mundane, predictable outcome of the story. The remarkable thing is the resurrection. Now, that genuinely is an incredible plot twist. Because it changes an ordinary story of everyday execution into something utterly extraordinary. If there had been no resurrection, Jesus would just have been another failed liberator. He would have been a footnote in history. He wouldn't have been the first wannabe Messiah, and he certainly wasn't the last wannabe Messiah. But with the resurrection, well, with the resurrection, everyone, literally everyone, other than Jesus, of course, had to ask themselves, What on earth just happened? I mean, seriously, what has just happened? Because all of these people thought they were in one story when suddenly they found themselves in a completely different story. And they had to re-evaluate everything that they had seen and experienced during their three years of ministry with Jesus because they thought they were in a story of Judean independence where one man, the Messiah, defeats Rome And Judea is once again free. But that isn't what happened. And the resurrection was a transformational element. It showed that something else had been going on that none of them had been aware of. And thus began the long process of the disciples working out what had just happened. And that led to a second and a third question. The first question had been, why did Jesus die? But the second question and the third question are both trickier. The second question is, what really happened on the cross? And the third question is, what are the consequences? Because the disciples would have known very quickly that something big had happened, something very big, with consequences. It's just that they had no idea what those consequences were. But over time, they pieced things together. And they worked out how Jesus's story fitted within the bigger story of the Jewish scriptures. And chapters such as Isaiah 53 would have helped them to reach some tentative conclusions. And what they concluded was extraordinary, because they concluded that Jesus was not just the Messiah, but that he was God in human form. And that put a completely different complexion on the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, because the story of Jesus became a story of humanity being confronted with God. And how did humanity react when it was confronted with God? Well, humanity reacted with utter predictability. Humanity could not cope with God, so it killed him. Humanity killed him That's the amazing thing about the crucifixion. Humanity kills God. Please just just kind of pause for a moment and let that sink in. As a story, humanity killed God. One of the benefits of of re-recording this talk um, as a podcast um, is that I can respond to some of the comments that I've received following the sermon on Sunday. One of which was that I uh, had downplayed the crucifixion by turning it into just a story. And I genuinely apologise if I gave that impression on Sunday, uh, because that wasn't what I was intending to do or say. My point was that, uh, superficially, the story of the crucifixion is mundane. Rome kills another messiah, yawn. And without the resurrection, that's where it would have been left. But because Jesus rose from the dead, everyone had to reevaluate exactly what had happened at the crucifixion. And they realised that actually something enormous had happened on the cross. Because that was the moment when humans had killed God. And that turns the crucifixion from something mundane into something which is the central event in human history. I say it again humans killed God, the created killed the creator. The mortal killed the immortal. That is the story of the cross, and therein lies its power. And this is the point when I need to mention sin, because sin is not some free floating concept. Ultimately, sin does not exist without humans. Sin is something that is done, it is action, and it was humanity's actions that put Jesus on the cross. If humans had been without sin, we would not have killed jesus we would have welcomed him and said come lord jesus be our king instead we had god living among us and our response was kill it kill it it was literally our sin therefore the sin of humanity that killed jesus not metaphorically but literally it was the casual violence of the romans the politically motivated duplicity of the religious leaders, the callous inconsistency of the people and the moral cowardice of the disciples. And by our sin, I mean our sin, our collective sin as humanity. Because this is not ultimately a story about me, me, me. It is a story about God and humanity. It is a story about what happens when humanity's sin meets divine love. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That is the point of the story. He was literally pierced with nails through his wrists and ankles for our humanity's transgressions. He was literally crushed for our iniquities. But Jesus, who was without sin, took it all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he poured his life out unto death. He bore the sins of many. He bore humanity's sins. That is the story, and it can only start to be absorbed when we keep it in mind as a story. And that's why I think a child can get it and why an adult can miss it. You do not need to be old or wise to cry at the foot of the cross. But thankfully, the cross wasn't the end of the story because he rose again. And this was the bit that no one was expecting. And in this resurrection, the early disciples saw evidence of forgiveness. Not just forgiveness on an individual scale, forgiveness for for me, Peter Mansfield, but forgiveness on a monumental scale, on a global scale. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Because the story of the cross can be summarised as follows. Humanity kills God. And the story of the resurrection can be summarized as God rises looks into the murderous eyes of humanity and says right let's start again to humanity Jesus says I know why you killed me it's the flaw in your humanity but I created you for good I created you to steward my good creation and I have not given up on that mission in my all consuming love for you nothing you can do can make me budge from that mission to bless the nations to bring my kingdom to earth will you join me now we talk a lot about forgiveness and when we do so we often talk about forgiveness in some sort of sort of abstract sense that somehow our kind of slate is, is mysteriously wiped clean uh, that maybe that the god looks on us and sees jesus and who knows, maybe that way of looking at it is is correct and is, is an appropriate way to interpret it. But sometimes I, I think that when God looks on us, he looks on us. He sees us. He really sees us. Every single element of us, all our good stuff, all our bad stuff, all our kind of mistakes, all our flaws. And even though he sees us, he still says, will you join me? And for me, it is those words, will you join me, kind of follow me, is the way that he often expressed it with disciples, that will you join me is the true meaning of forgiveness. At the end of the Gospel of John, one of those kind of stories of Jesus that I mentioned earlier on, there is is a remarkable little vignette. Before the crucifixion, um, Peter had had three opportunities to stand with Jesus and Uh, To face the consequences of of doing so. Um, But on each occasion, he had chickened out. Um, Now, a few days later, after the resurrection, Jesus says to Peter three times, Do you love me? And three times Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And on each occasion, Jesus replies, Feed my sheep. The word forgiveness does not appear in this narrative. But it is Jesus saying, feed my sheep to Peter, that is the true act of forgiveness. Because Jesus has a mission. As it says in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the invitation to join him in the fulfilment of that mission is the act of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is all about mission, it seems to me. The God who knows us, that's us collectively and us individually the god who sees our every flaw who sees us so completely that we can hide nothing says to us do you want to join my team and that is forgiveness isn't it i mean that that is salvation it's it's often said that christianity is is all about mending the relationship between us and god and yeah that is obviously part of it but but fundamentally, it seems to me, that the purpose of forgiveness is mission. That seems to be what Jesus is saying in the Lord's Prayer. You know, There is a job to be done. There is a job to be done. There is a world to bless. There is a heavenly kingdom to be brought to earth. And to achieve that, a lot of love is required. And despite everything, despite knowing everything about you and me, God wants you and he wants me to join him In fulfilling that mission and in that way his story becomes our story let's pray father i thank you that you call us you ask us to join your team father we know that we need you and your power and your strength but father we offer ourselves lord we say here am i lord use me please use me for your kingdom Lord, so that the world will become aware of your love, Lord, the, the world will become aware of your forgiveness, and your world will become aware of your salvation. Amen.